0: Well, we are in week four of a series on being a generous church. The first week we spoke about, I spoke about, how we needed a really, truly a heart transplant to become a generous people. The heart of the unsaved, while we were unsaved, the Bible does not say many, many flattering things about the heart of mankind. There's nothing but evil and wickedness really in there. But we get a new heart when we become that new creature in Christ. Then we spoke about being generous with the words we speak, especially the words of kindness and words of encouragement. You know, not expecting people to earn our kindness and encouragement, but to be generous with those words. Sometimes it's amazing what one or two words that we speak change the life of someone. You okay back there? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> And week three, last week, we spoke about being generous with our good deeds, good works. And we talked about how good works should simply be a fruit of salvation by grace through faith. That true faith causes those good works the glory of God. We bear fruit. And this week, we are continuing with Being a Generous Church. I asked you the question I asked my wife this question and she got all spiritual on me and just you know I've told you before the answer in any question when you don't know the real answer is just Jesus right So she said Jesus So I asked you what is your most valuable asset what would you say What is the most valuable asset Now you can't say Jesus <laughs> And then she went down the fruit of the holy spirit and finally I said no I want you to get practical Is it money Is it a house Is it your car? Is it your 401K? What is it that you consider your most valuable asset? Your time. We finally got the right answer. Way to steal my thunder. All of those other material things, if we lost them all, if God gives us the time, we can earn them back. They can be replaced. But our time is a totally different thing. Once we spend or invest our time, it is gone forever. I'm sure we've all seen the pictures where we're all given one day. We're all given the same amount of time every day of our life. We are given those 24 hours. What do we do with them? We're given 1,440 minutes every day. What do we invest them in? And it sounds like a lot, but 86,400 seconds goes really fast. What do we do with that time? And there is a catch to this time thing. Let's just imagine I gave you a debit card from our local bank. And I said, all the money you're going to need for the rest of your life is in that account. Here's the card. But the one thing I don't tell you is how much money is in that account. Would you be a little cautious? Would you be a little wise? Maybe you'd even seek God how to spend that money. Because what you don't know is how many days you're going to be on planet Earth. That money needs to be there. And that's how it is with our time. We all have the same amount of time in a day, but we do not all have the same amount of time in our life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We may be spending the last of the time that we have on this Earth. What are we doing with it? When it comes to generosity, our time is one of the most valuable things we can possibly give away. Like a word of encouragement, just giving someone some time or undivided attention, taking the time to meet a need, taking the time to do something just because God would. can change a life. Being generous with our time. And the flip side of that is also we need to be good stewards of our time. Everything that God gives us, we need to steward well. So in a message like this, I know I'm sitting here with a whole bunch of people and most of us have said at least once or twice, maybe many, many times in the last week, I just don't have enough time. I'm too busy. I don't know what I can... Do. I, there's, nothing, there's no way I can do anything more. I don't have enough time. Well... We need to steward it well, but we need to be generous with it. So today I'm going to have us look at a very familiar story or parable that Jesus told, and then I'm going to look at just a moment today in the life of Jesus to give us an idea of what it looks like to maybe steward it well. How can we do a better job of stewarding that time in this busy, busy world that we live in and this busy way we let our lives be controlled by oftentimes others and things that aren't that important. I want to give some context because it's a very, very familiar story to most people that have been in church much at all. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. To give you a little background, there's a road that goes from Jericho and ascends about 3,600 feet up to Jerusalem. It's a treacherous road. It was a treacherous road and dangerous in those days because of the highway robbers that would be along that road. And along that road, it winds through many dark valleys, steep cliffs. It was a dangerous place. As a matter of fact, it was so dangerous, most people in those days wouldn't walk that road alone because it wasn't safe. And because it was a 17-mile walk approximately with going up in elevation, a lot of people couldn't make it in a day. So there were an inn or two that were developed along that road. And that's the road that the story of the Good Samaritan takes place on. And it starts out, before we get to the actual story of the Good Samaritan, and Jesus is using that because he's answering a question with that story. And it says that he's spending time and he's talking to his disciples. I think it even says, and he turned to his disciples, and the next thing we know, it says, there's a lawyer that stood up and asked a question. Now, when I say a lawyer, I don't mean a lawyer that pops into our mind in our current culture. A lawyer then was one who was an expert at the Mosaic law one who knew the law well. So this lawyer stands up and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What works? What do I have to do? And as Jesus often did, he flipped it right back on him and says, well, you're a lawyer. You know the law. What does the law say? And the lawyer says, well, we're to love the Lord our God with all our might, with all our strength, with all our soul, with all our mind. We're supposed to love him and... We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says, Good job. You got it. That's exactly right. Go and do that, and you will live. And then the wording of what he says next tells us that in my mind, my imagination says, Okay, I'm doing a good job of doing the law thing. But that love your neighbor thing, man, maybe I better ask a little question and narrow the definition some so I pass the test. So it says, To justify himself, he says, well, gee, who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? And an interesting thing in that time, the Jewish people, they, their religion, their faith taught that you are to love your neighbor. But actually, there was a teaching that said, to the glory of God, you're to hate your enemy. As a matter of fact, they found in the, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls this phrase, love all the sons of light and hate all the sons of darkness. So when he says, who's my neighbor, he's looking for a way out of this. And he's hoping that he gets eternal life. And in answering that question, now Jesus goes in to the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know the story. I'll read it quickly, starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. I believe this story, it can be used to make so many points. But the one I want us to see today is what a generosity our time can accomplish when we're facing a genuine need. In reply to the question, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, to the Jewish people, this would already resonate when he's talking about the priests and the Levites. The Levites are also religious people who worked around the temple and all of their worship. And history says there were approximately up to as many as 12,000 priests and Levites living in Jericho. And they would go back and forth on this road to minister at the temple and do their work. And who would be more likely to help somebody in need than the good old priests and the other religious leaders? But it says, A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Verse 34 says, He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus says to the lawgiver or the the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And it was clear he couldn't avoid the obvious answer. Though we may expect those religious people, the priests and the Levites to have the greatest obligation to help someone in need, they walk past. And then there's a Samaritan. And if you know the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they weren't best friends. They didn't think much of each other at all. Jews looked to them and called them dogs. And this appears to be a brother, a Jewish brother, who's on the side of the road, nearly dead. And the story, in my mind, emphasizes to us that a generous person is taking care of someone in genuine need. And I keep stressing that word genuine because there's a lot of perceived needs and there's a lot of wants that pretend they're needs. And we'll get into that when we talk about stewarding our time and being generous with it anyway. The Good Samaritan, look what he all did. He took the wine, poured wine on him. He used oil. He came up with cloth bandages and bandaged them up. Even though it's a hard walk, he put him on his donkey, took him to the inn. And then it says he cared for him. And then he left two coins and denarii. And, and some people think that that would indicate that this guy could have been taken care of for up to two weeks' time. We don't know for sure. And then he says, if, as if that's not enough, he says, I'll be coming back because you got to go back and forth in this road. When I come back, I'll stop by. And if you need more money, I'll pay for it, whatever it takes. This Samaritan was unbelievably generous in every way, but especially with his time. Most of us are really good at making excuses. Now, when I step on toes, I want you to know I've been stomping on mine all week. But these excuses, think of the excuses these guys could have made. And this, I'm stealing this from Spurgeon. Spurgeon. He says, this road is too dangerous for me to stop and help this man. Why would I do that? He's nothing more than bait. If I stop, the robbers are going to come out and they'll do the same to me. I've got to get to the temple and perform my duties. If I get blood on me or touch a dead person, I can't do the job. I just flat don't have time. I've got to get back and see my family. It's not convenient for me. Someone else will surely stop. If I'm going to serve... I don't have time. I know what I can do. I can pray for him because I really don't know first aid in the first place. So I'll just pray for him. I can't stop because I'm the only one here on this dangerous road and I shouldn't be here in the first place. And he shouldn't have either. It's his own fault he's laying there almost dead. And we might have more contemporary excuses than those, but we make a lot of excuses. When somebody is put before us and God gives us an opportunity to minister to them, to be his hands and feet, we come up with some kind of excuse. I've done it many times. And I'm guessing most of us in here have. Being generous with our time. How do we do that in the world we live in? Spurgeon virgin said these words after he rattled off these and more excuses. He says, I never knew a man refused... To help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. And I usually can come up with an excuse that makes some sense. I don't know that it's always admirable, but we can come up with them. What excuses do we make? And why do we really make them? I believe in this story of the Good Samaritan, we see love and, and his faith even though we don't understand those Samaritans and what they were thinking, there was something in him that did something more generous than the priests or the Levites. In this case, it was this act of mercy. And if we look at that particular case, we do come to the realization that being generous with our time can also be costly. Those things that he used to bandage the oil, the wine, the bandage, the money he had to spend, they did cost him something, but those are material things. He could get that all back. But the time that he took to show compassion and mercy, this generosity of his time, that would never be regained. Gone forever. And if you're like me about now, you would probably be saying, Yeah, Mike, it all sounds so good. But you don't know how busy we are. In our culture today, we're way more busy. But well, let me tell you, people have been busy forever. And time has been limited forever. And there was probably there was no one who was more busy. Then Jesus, once his ministry became public, I mean, everywhere he went, there were people clamoring for his attention. Would you agree that Jesus was a busy man? But if you look at the Gospels, you'll see that it doesn't appear that Jesus ever hurried. Even when his disciples or somebody else would be trying to push him along, hurry him along, he'd say, no, just slow down here. I'm needed. There's a genuine need here that needs to be met. Everywhere he went, it was the same way. The blind, the deaf, the mutes, the lepers. Sometimes it was just a group of people wanting to hear his teaching, clamoring for his teaching and time. But what did he do? How did he make time for all of his opportunities to minister? To demonstrate the compassionate love of Christ. He's a busy guy. Well, I think there's a particular day in the life of Jesus, matter of fact, just a few hours, where we get a glimpse of maybe what we would do or could do to be good stewards of our time, even as we're generosity. We're generous. And that's found in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1. This is taking place very early in Jesus' ministry. It looks like it's Peter and Paul and John and Andrew. And they go to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. Word spreads. And then it says, after supper in the evening, the whole city came. I don't know if that's hyperbole or not, but a lot of people showed up and they came needing to be delivered and needing to be healed. And I can only imagine that Jesus worked late into the evening because it says he healed them all. He delivered all that needed deliverance by by just speaking a word. He didn't turn anybody away. And that brings us to where we are early the next morning in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I would offer one of the reasons Jesus could be so generous with His time and ministering to other people is He was first and foremost generous with His time that He spent with His Father. And I think we could learn a lesson from that. You know, if we would spend our time with our Heavenly Father, helping, having Him help us establish the pattern for our days, knowing and understanding His will for us, just communing with Him, Spending time with Him. You know, it seems like when we go through Scripture, there's a a doctrine that's pretty common. God will bless what we give Him. First fruits. God will bless the first fruits that we would give. Wouldn't it make good sense to give Him our time and be generous with our time and then see what He does? With the rest of our day and see what he wants us to truly do. It's it's so frustrating, and again, I'm probably not unique in this at all. When you see a need or you you, you hear about a need, as the pastor in the church, I get those phone calls. I shared a couple things last, a sermon or two ago about a phone call where there's a need. And one of the things in the media is like, Lord, is this a serious need? Is this a genuine need? Am I stewarding stewarding what the church has here to give to people? Do we really want to give him this money to help pay for this, do that, or the other thing? A genuine need. Sadly, we know we get ripped off. It happens. But as a church, our leadership, we've decided we'd rather be ripped off than turn away a legitimate need. But we have to kind of say, Lord, I, I don't know. Is this genuine? Is it a presumed thing, or is it just a want? How do we help? Well, Jesus spends his time with the Lord. And then the very next verse, really the next two verses, really catch my attention anyway. So it's the next morning. Jesus is off praying. The disciples are doing what I'd have been doing. They were still sleeping. And then Peter comes looking for him, and he finds him. And here's what it says in verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I mean, holy cow, you healed a whole bunch of people last night. Word spread. There's even more people coming. Where are you? What are you doing? And then Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. And when I first read that, I thought, that'd be my answer. Let's just get out of here. Let somebody else worry about them. So then I'm coming. Okay, how can Jesus say that? Why would he say that? It doesn't sound very Jesus-like. We're talking about a generous Jesus. He says, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Let's go somewhere else. There are all these demands on his time just like there's demands on our time. Jesus knew what his purpose, his calling, and his destiny was. He knew what was really important. He understood that his purpose in coming was to share what we call the good news of the gospel, to spread the word as far and, and broad and far as he could. And he understood that there is a difference between what's really important in God's eyes and what seems to be simply urgent took me many years to realize that not everything that appears to be urgent is urgent. Wear yourself running around chasing your tail, trying to fix all the urgent. That's why I'm so thankful for Friday, because all the urgent goes away. The phone quits ringing, and everything's good till Monday morning. What's urgent? What's really important? And sometimes they go together. This was urgent with this man laying on the road to Jerusalem and Jericho. It was urgent. It was necessary. It was important. We need to know, how how did the Lord know? How did Jesus know? Well, we know He's God in the flesh and we know all that. But I have to believe that for us to spend time with the Father would help us greatly in determining the difference between the really important and the appearance of urgent that we would know what the Lord would have us to do, want us to do in every situation. What really matters in life from an eternal perspective. You know, we sometimes need to just step back and remind ourselves, every time we say yes to something, we say no to a possibility of thousands of other things. Every right yes requires that. We need to really know, Lord... What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? I want to be generous with my time. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to help the people in need. We want to do that. But as most of us know, the needs are overwhelming. Overwhelming, and word still spreads rapidly. You know, we can help somebody from a different community. I get a phone call. The next thing I know, I've got eight phone calls from that same community because they heard victory will give you something. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Lord, what's important here? Help me not just fall to what appears to be urgent. Saying yes to things and saying no to things is part of stewardship. Part of our stewarding our time well. Some of us don't say yes to hardly anything. And Some of us can't say no to anything. We've got to realize some things require a yes, some things require a no. And both of those will probably put you in a place where you're not comfortable. You've not done that before. Why we need to spend and be generous with our time with the Lord first. Another quote, and I have no idea, I could not find who said this, but it was written this way. Our greatest fear should not be fear of failure. Our greatest fear should be succeeding in things that don't really matter. The enemy can keep us so busy, we miss what God wants us to do. We can be so busy with pretty good things and succeed at those things, but if they don't really matter, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to not see those things because they burnt up. Succeeding in what matters is the important thing. And with a message like this, man, it causes me to do some super serious self-reflection. And I hope it does for all of us. How am I doing with my time and my generosity? And then how am I doing in stewarding it well? And first and foremost, how much of it is I giving to the Lord first? So that I do a good job of the other two things. How are we doing? How am I doing? We want to be investing our time, not just spending it. We want to be investing it in what really matters. We want Victory to be a church that is generous in every area that we've talked about, but also in the giving of our time and doing it well. And one of the things that's striking in the story of the Good Samaritan is when the lawyer asks, who's my neighbor? He made the point very clear in the story that someone not like you. It's easy to give time to those that we connect with. Maybe they look like us. Maybe they think like us. Maybe they even vote like us. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Those other people, let them take care of their own. A the good Samaritan, if anybody could have in the flesh walked past, it would have been him. God wants us to be generous with our time with those that aren't like us. with those that may not even know who he is. We need to take time to spend it with the Lord. I want to close with another quote that I soul from an article, so I don't even know who to give it credit to. But it's in regard to being the hands and feet of Jesus. It says this, being the hands and feet of Jesus means giving our time to others. This means serving with the hands and feet God has given us. This means loving people hands-on, rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty. This means spending time with the broken, the outcast, and the rejected. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that we would be that kind of people. That we would be people demonstrating through our generosity in all its forms the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. The love that drew us to you. The love that went to a cross for us that we might know you. God, I pray that we would be that kind of people and that we would be that kind of church. That where we see a need, we would be willing to generously give of our time. Lord, I pray you would put it in our hearts. Draw us to yourself. That we might be more generous with our time with you. Holy Spirit, I invite you to convict me, convict us the importance of that time just with the Father. Father, I am so thankful your word makes clear that you have a purpose for every single one of us. You have a destiny for every single one of us. There are things that you have planned for each of us to fulfill even before we were born. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, you would give us your heart, and you would help us truly be your hands and feet. I ask this, Lord, that you'd be glorified in everything that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.